Um, as we begin this morning, I'm going to ask you to um, suspend reality for a little while. For centuries upon centuries upon centuries, when God's people gathered for worship, they never read the Bible. Somebody read it for them, and all they did was listen. And it seems to me that the Holy Spirit inspired the writers of the Scripture to write in such a way that people could listen and not have to read. We all think we know the story of the resurrection. We know all of the elements of it, everything that is in it. We've got it right here. But I'm going to ask you this morning to listen as I read this story as if you've never heard it before. Maybe you want to identify with some of the characters in the story, some of the events that take place. Maybe your mind will wander in 14 different directions. And that's all okay. And for some of us to be able to do that, we may have to close our eyes and simply listen. And so I'd like to invite you to listen. Because as you listen, you'll hear the word of God. From John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. But Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she wept, she bent over to look inside the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Well, they've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, 
Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Here ends the reading of God's word. Our lives can change in a split second, right? They can go from light to darkness. They can go from joy to sorrow. They can go from carefree to anxious. They can go from relaxed to tense. And all of us know exactly what that means because just this past week, it happened to everyone in this room. People were doing what many of us have done. They were going to travel somewhere. They were going to travel by airplane. They went to the airport and they stood in line waiting to check their luggage. You stand there and you wait. You wait in line patiently, looking at your phone, conversing with one another, wondering around why the people at the counter don't seem to know how to do their job and why it takes so long. They were waiting like they had waited before until suddenly a bomb goes off in the middle of that line and devastation strikes and people are killed and others are injured and terror moves through that facility and around the world and 40 minutes later the same thing happens in a subway and we're all reminded, we are all reminded that we've lived through this previously, right? Our nation, other nations, other people, we all sit on the edge of our seat and wonder, when will it happen again? Where will it happen again? Might it happen to me? Our lives can change in a second. A routine yearly physical can detect a life-threatening condition that you never knew existed. A glance at your cell phone while you're driving down the road to see what that buzzing is about can lead to a tragic accident that injures you or others in your car or someone in another car. A phone call from a friend can end a long-time relationship. The discovery of an email that your spouse had received can threaten your marriage. Our lives can change in a second. I heard a story following this Brussels attack about 9-11 um, that I'd never heard before. There was a young couple who lived in the suburbs of Boston who were um, to fly to somewhere on 9-1-2001, or 9-11-2001. And on their way to the airport to catch their plane, they had a flat tire. It took a long time to get it changed. They got back in their car, they got to the airport, and they were late and they had missed their flight only to discover that minutes later that that very flight was one of those that crashed into the Twin Towers. And now they lived in that tension of, wow, I am so glad that we were spared and we're alive, but there's a lot of other people who died, and this is a horrible tragedy. 
I mean, they had never even left the airport before that news came to them. They were trying to make arrangements for, uh, to go some other time. The first thought that the young man had was, you know, I better call my dad. He's probably wondering if we're okay. So he called him from the airport. His father lived in New York City. His father is a fireman. His father said, well, I'm glad to hear that you're okay. You guys go home. I'm going to go down to the World Trade Center and see if there's any way that I can help. And so the young couple went home and sat there for hours and watched on the news, and the rest of us did, all the events that were taking place until their phone rang. And it was someone telling them that his father, who had gone to help, had been killed when the towers collapsed. You see, your life can change in a moment's notice. You never know when it's going to happen. And that's not something that is new. Jesus' life and the life of his followers changed radically in the course of only a matter of hours and only a few days. If you were here last Sunday, we remembered Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We call it Palm Sunday. People stood outside and welcomed him with palms. Hosanna, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He was hailed as a hero. He was going to save Jerusalem. He was going to transform everything. They believed in Jesus and what he was going to do. But in a matter of hours, everything changed. Things can go horribly wrong in a matter of days. I mean, Mary Magdalene knew that truth even about herself, right? When we first meet Mary Magdalene, she is possessed by seven demons. She's had this her entire life. We would call it today a, a mental illness. She was never quite right. Perhaps it was uh, bipolar, whatever. It doesn't really make any difference. But she was completely ostracized from everyone and everything because she was thought in the first century to be unclean. Don't go near, near her because you'll get what she has. And so she was ostracized from her family. She couldn't get a job. She had no friends. She couldn't go to worship because she was unclean. She wasn't welcome in a church. And then, then she took the chance to meet this new teacher, this, this rabbi called Jesus. And in a matter of minutes, her life was completely transformed in that encounter, all for the good. She was there on Palm Sunday. She might have been Jesus' biggest cheerleader. And she was there on Good Friday when he died as well. And Peter and John, I mean, their lives have been completely transformed by Jesus. He'd invited them to follow him. And once they had decided to do that, nothing was the same ever again. They left their family and their friends and their jobs and their hometown and their faith centers, everything that gave them safety and security, to follow this new rabbi named Jesus. Their life was completely transformed. And they were there on Palm Sunday as well. I mean, they had told Jesus, you know, he probably not, not go to Jerusalem. It's just too dangerous for you. But then maybe on Palm Sunday, they, they changed their thinking. Maybe they said, you know, maybe this isn't going to be so bad. Look at all the supporters you have. Look at everybody cheering you. This could really work out well for us. Until a few days later, after one ugly encounter after another with religious leaders and authorities, 
they finally watched Jesus suffer in the public square through a horrible, horrible beating that only first century Romans could think was a good idea. And then they took him to hang him on a cross. And Mary Magdalene and Peter and John had all their hopes crushed and their futures derailed. Their lives were changed in a second. And so it was with a heavy heart that Mary Magdalene went to the cemetery while it was still dark. I mean, she couldn't help herself. She had to pay proper respects to Jesus and to make sure that everything was in order. And when she arrived, she discovered that the stone had been rolled away, which only meant one thing in her mind. And it isn't what you're thinking. It did not mean resurrection to her. Did you hear the story? Her logical conclusion, which made all the sense in the world and the first century in her mind, somebody stole his body. And she said, they stole it. We're not real sure who they were. A good guess would be religious authorities, Roman government officials, the two conspired. Somebody had stolen his body. It was gone. She was not thinking resurrection. She ran back to tell Peter and John, who raced to the cemetery. John got there first, which I always think is kind of a bum. Why do they have to put that in the scripture, right? That John ran faster than Peter? Why is that so important? And every Peter since that time has inherited that same kind of slow-footedness? I mean, that's not fair at all. I mean, I started out my football career as a halfback. But then I couldn't beat anybody in a race anymore, so they made me an offensive lineman. I only had to run about two feet to hit somebody. It was beautiful. They race to the tomb and they find the same thing. John just looks inside. Peter gets there and he goes inside and the tomb is empty. But we're not told right then that they believed, first and foremost, a resurrection occurred, a resurrection occurred. That isn't what they said at all. They didn't know what to make of what happened. We're told that John believed, but what did John believe? Because right after that phrase in the scripture appears that John believed is this passage. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So what did he believe? See, it's our automatic tendency because of our perspective in life to think empty tune means resurrection. But for those who were there the first day, the discovery of an empty tomb did not signify a miracle, but something sinister. A robbery, insult added to injury, further displays of hatred and cruelty. Peter and John left. Mary couldn't even muster the energy to leave. She was so grief-stricken, all she did was sit and cry. And then one word changed everything for Mary. Not a theological word. Not a statement of doctrine. One word changed everything for Mary. And it probably wasn't the word that changed it for her. It was the voice that she heard. As she sat and wept, she heard someone say, Mary. And she knew immediately by that voice that it was Jesus. And just as quickly as 
Palm Sunday had turned into Good Friday. The grief and sorrow that Mary experienced in that cemetery that day was transformed into joy. Jesus was alive. Jesus was alive. Everything was now different. And there is a lesson in this that sometimes we overlook in the resurrection story. It's a very important lesson, especially for us when we're in moments of difficulty and trial and darkness and struggle. And it's a very simple lesson. When we're having difficulty or trial or pain, Jesus shows up. Isn't that what he did for me? He showed up. I'm here. You're not alone. I'm with you in this. We're going to do this together. Jesus shows up. And you never know when he's going to show up or how he's going to show up. A young couple who lived outside of Boston, several months later they were home and um, their doorbell rang. They went to the, to the door and there was another young couple there uh, with a baby. And um, the woman said, uh, you know, you don't know who we are, um, but I worked in the World Trade Center. And um, I was eight and a half months pregnant when that plane fell in to where I worked. And I was so high up in that building, I wasn't sure what to do or how to get down. The elevators weren't working. It was complete chaos. I prayed that somehow God would rescue me. And out of the smoke and the chaos, a fireman shows up. And this fireman escorted me down the stairs. And in my condition, I couldn't always walk, so sometimes he had to carry me down the stairs. And I want you to know that that fireman was your dad. They had no idea. All this time, they had thought that his dad had gone to the World Trade Center to help, but hadn't been much help. They felt the grief of his loss to terrorists, the enemy. The darkness had won, and the light had been smothered out. And now this couple at the door had a story that changed everything. So you never know what it's going to look like when Jesus shows up. Now you can imagine that that couple began to cry hearing this story about the heroism of their dad. And when the tears subsided, the young man said, I still feel badly about my father's death because I never had a chance to share the gospel with him. He never knew Jesus Christ, and so he died empty. It was enough to hear that their dad had been helpful, that he didn't die in vain. But there was still sorrow involved. But for that couple, God showed up. And you never know what God is going to look like when he shows up. Sometimes he looks like a friend who calls unexpectedly. Or sometimes it's a song that you hear on the radio. Or sometimes it's an email that someone sends you. Or sometimes it's, it's a listening ear that is provided by someone who truly cares. And sometimes it's a new idea or a new direction or just the strength to get through another day. But God always shows up. And when God shows up, Anything can happen.
Now, it's important for us to remember that, that the resurrection didn't catch on immediately. I mean, even Peter and John were not necessarily early adopters. As you read in, in, continuously in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes an appearance to the disciples, and then it starts to click in. There was a resurrection. Jesus is alive. The things that he said are starting to make more and more sense to us. You see, when life goes dark, when tragedy strikes, when we're experiencing sorrow or wonder, we're not always immediately transformed by the knowledge of the, re of the resurrection. But the resurrection does give us hope that things can be different in the future, even if it isn't grasped immediately. Sometimes the resurrection doesn't return us to the life that we had before. Sometimes the resurrection points us in a completely new and different direction that we never intended to go. Um, you know, when we were, when we were young and, and we first got married, we, we weren't let, unlike other couples. You know, you, you, you get married and you have this dream, this ideal. This is what's going to happen, right? Uh, we're going to get married. <clears throat> we're going to finish school. We're going to have jobs. We're going to have enough money to buy a house. We're going to have a family. It's the American dream. It's what happens. It, you know, we all have that in the back of our mind. That's kind of what the plan is for us. And we informed God that that was our plan, hoping that he would honor it. So we finished school, we got jobs, we bought a house. The next thing on our list was to start having children, and so uh, we got pregnant, and we were super excited about being pregnant. We we're going to have a baby. And only a few minute, months later, uh, we miscarried, and the joy went to grief. And God worked in our lives and brought some healing and brought people around us who really cared. And we recovered from that and, and we were pregnant again. And then we miscarried. And then we were pregnant again. And we miscarried. Now you would think that having a theological education, that I would be a lot smarter about this stuff than Becky, but she's a better theologian than I am. She always had the ability to put things in perspective, and her perspective was simply that, I don't know why this is happening, but I'm thinking that, that it's one of two things. Either, either this baby wasn't going to survive out there in the world where we live, and so God decided to take it home, or we weren't going to be able to be good parents to this baby because of whatever difficulties it were, and so God decided to take it home. But there was a resurrection, you see, and healing and a new idea. And the new idea and the resurrection was, well, maybe we should adopt. We had talked about adoption as a possibility down the road. It was down the road. But God changed our course through that resurrection. And we went through the adoption process. And our oldest child, we adopted when he was three years old and he came to live with us. And then, as only God can do, Four years later, we were pregnant and carried a baby full term. And four years later, we were pregnant again and carried another baby full term, who turned out to be an incredibly difficult child. <laughs> the youngest and the only girl, spoiled rotten by her mother only. <laughs> you see, the resurrection always brings hope, 
There's always a light at the end of the tunnel, but we're not really sure when it's going to be realized or what exactly it's going to look like. And sometimes it'll take you in a completely new direction. But that's the essence of the Easter story, is it not? That there is always hope. There is always hope. The Prime Minister of Belgium, Charles Michel, said of Monday's terrorist, attack, terrorist attacks that this is a black moment in our country. Amen to that. Our lives can change in a moment, and this is a black moment in our country. But he went on to encourage solidarity and calm for the nation of Belgium, reminding the people that other nations had experienced terrorist attacks and had recovered and thrived even so after them. And they would do the same because there's always hope. There is always hope. So these four young people sat and talked longer about what had happened in the World Trade Center. And the woman with the baby who worked at the World Trade Center had talked about how she wasn't sure exactly how they made it down from who knows what floor they were on way at the top, but their dad had helped her and carried her even. And they had a long trip down all those stairs and they had plenty of time to talk about everything. And I told your dad how important my faith in Jesus Christ was to me and no matter what happened, I knew that my future was secure. The fireman was baffled at that idea. But he was curious. And she was able on that long walk down, eight and a half months pregnant, not knowing what was going to happen, to share the gospel with him. And by the time they got to the last floor, they prayed a prayer of salvation that he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Before he went back up into the tower, and then it collapsed. The kids couldn't believe it. Their father hadn't died not knowing Jesus. Oh, um... By the way, the young woman said, our baby, our baby is named after your dad. You see, there is always hope. There is always a reason to believe. The grave never has the last word. Sorrow never has the last word. Darkness never has the last word. The last word is the resurrection. The last word is hope. The last word is transformation. The last word is found in the last book of the Bible. He will wipe every tear. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. For the old order of things has passed away and the new has come through the power of the resurrection. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Forgive us, Lord, when we think that we know everything there is to know about this story. Forgive us, O oh Lord, when we become complacent and take life and faith for granted. Forgive us, O oh Lord, when we become apathetic and transform us, O oh Lord, into men and women who know and live and breathe 
the hope of the resurrection. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, every week as we worship together, we express our gratitude for all the great gifts that God has given to us through our tithes and our offerings. You know, what we celebrate today is the greatest gift that God has ever given. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He, he gave him not only in his birth, but also gave him to us in his death. And so as we worship with our tithes and offerings, let's be as extravagant in our giving as God was to us. And as we worship with our tithes and offerings, we'll also continue to worship in song. Thank mm-hmm. you. 